Welcome back to the podcast, and thanks for joining me. I thought I would do something a little different in this episode, and answer some of the questions that have been sent to me, and also address some of the issues that have been raised in public forums and social media. But first, I want you to know that there's a new episode of Dave Aranchak's YouTube series, Let's Crack Zodiac, featuring Sam Blake, a mathematician who worked with Dave and Jarl von Eicke to solve the Zodiac's 340-symbol cipher. Dave posted this summary of the episode. Sam Blake tells the story of his huge success in helping to solve the baffling mystery of the Zodiac's 340 cipher. His talk is great proof that math and science can unwrap mysteries that were once thought to be unsolvable. So be sure to check out episode number 8 of Let's Crack Zodiac on YouTube and visit Dave's website, ZodiacKillerCiphers.com for more information about the Zodiac Ciphers. There seem to be certain issues or questions or theories that often pop up in the comments section on YouTube or Facebook. And like many of you, I don't have a lot of time to spend online posting comments. So I try not to get sucked into those conversations. It's often maddening to see how much these people just have no use for facts or reality. And then some of it is just from people who just don't know a lot about the case and are new to the story and getting their information from bad or unreliable sources. And I've addressed some of these issues in previous episodes, especially the most recent episodes debunking popular Zodiac myths. Just today, in one of the Zodiac groups on Facebook, I saw someone write as a declarative statement of fact that the Zodiac often took credit for crimes he didn't commit, crimes which had been later proven to have been committed by someone else. When I hear that, I have to wonder where did they get that information, because the Zodiac appeared to take credit for six specific crimes, and all six of those crimes remain unsolved. So one would have to know who had committed those crimes in order to know that the Zodiac wasn't involved. So when someone says the Zodiac took credit for crimes he didn't commit and crimes that were later proven to be committed by others, that gets repeated over and over again all over the Internet. And so then people keep repeating it as if it's a fact because they saw somebody else repeating it as if it's a fact. And it's disturbing because it only adds to the confusion. And we know that when it comes to this case, we don't need more confusion. But that's always been part of the problem with the Internet. I mean, all you have to do is go to any of these sites and you'll see that there's a seemingly endless supply of misinformation. And sometimes it comes from people who as George Carlin once said, are a few sandwiches short of a picnic. And then there's this other phenomenon. Whenever somebody posts something about the Zodiac, there always seems to be someone who immediately pops up and says, the Zodiac was so-and-so. And sometimes it's a familiar name, like Arthur Lee Allen or Larry Kane. But then sometimes it's a name you've never heard of, because this person who posted this comment is just somebody out there who thinks it was their uncle or their stepfather or their mailman or somebody. And they post these comments as declarative statements of fact. So-and-so was the Zodiac. 
And then they don't really offer any real evidence. What they do is they offer what I often refer to as trivia. You know, he looked like the Zodiac. He lived in California. He was breathing at the time. That kind of thing. But they're so sure. And then they'll say things like, well, the FBI knows who it is because I gave them all this information. And then they complain about why the FBI hasn't arrested someone or held a press conference to announce that the case has been solved. And they go on and on and say, well, I solved the cipher and I found his name in here. Some of these people just show up on my YouTube channel and they'll post the name of their suspect. It's troubling to see how easily people fall into this pattern. And, you know, I don't know who these people are. I don't know anything about their suspect. So I don't want to be a party to accusing somebody of murder on the Internet without any evidence. And I remove those comments. And then the person gets very upset and claims that I'm infringing on their free speech or that I don't want to see the case solved, all the usual excuses. And unfortunately, then I have to block them. And then every once in a while, when I see someone posting these kinds of comments, I realize, oh, that's a person that wrote to me last year with this claim. And when I asked him for any evidence to back it up, they became very evasive and hostile. And eventually we stopped talking to each other. And then they pop up on the YouTube channel, and they're repeating this stuff as if it's fact, and then they get angry when I won't let them do it. I don't know what it is, but there's something about this case and maybe about all unsolved mysteries that people seem to believe they have some sort of God-given right to accuse a suspect. They think they're entitled to their beliefs, and that therefore they're entitled to go around telling everybody that they think someone's guilty of murder. And I just try to live by a different standard, one that doesn't allow people to accuse other human beings of murder without any credible evidence. And then there's the fact that in many of these instances, you're watching someone sort of have an online mental breakdown of sorts. You know, it's often people who stay up for days on end and become obsessed with the case and every little detail they think matches up to their suspect they spend a lot of time online on all kinds of websites spreading this information, arguing with people. And it's sad to see how much these people essentially waste their lives on this stuff. But unfortunately, over the last 20-something years, I've become accustomed to this. In fact, it's not unusual at all. Because from what I've seen, once someone has decided that they have solved the Zodiac case, there's no talking them out of it. There's no going back. And they especially don't like it when other people tell them they're wrong. And this plays into another thing that I often see online, especially on Facebook recently, which is this idea that two or more of the Zodiac suspects were actually working together. Usually these people have what you might call a primary suspect that they believe is the Zodiac. But then they have a second or even a third person that they sort of consider as basically a runner-up suspect. So when they're confronted with information that their primary suspect may not be the Zodiac, instead of re-examining their opinions about that particular suspect, they will then default to the runner-up and say that the runner-up and the primary suspect must have been working together. And that explains why one suspect's fingerprints or handwriting don't match. It's because the other suspect was the one who wrote the letters, and this one committed that crime, and then the other one committed the next crime. So that's why descriptions don't match, or that's why fingerprints don't match. 
And that's why their suspects have evaded justice, because the police keep believing that the Zodiac was just one person. And once the evidence doesn't match a particular suspect, they move on to another suspect. When, according to these amateur detectives, what really happened was Arthur Lee Allen and Larry Kane were working together. Or my favorite one, which is that the counterculture newspaper writer, Richard Gajkowski, was working with Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Some of the listeners might not be old enough to remember in the 1970s, I think, when Marvel published this popular comic called Marvel Team-Ups, and they would feature two superheroes, like Spider-Man and Iron Man or whatever, and on the cover there would be these dramatic images of the two superheroes either facing off against each other or teaming up to fight some enemy. And these comics were very popular. And I think in some ways, people sort of play this similar game when it comes to the Zodiac case. They have their pet suspects, people they consider favorites, and they just sort of move them around on the board according to their needs. Well, it was this one over here and this one, and then if that doesn't work, we'll bring this one in. And, you know, you have Arthur Lee Allen working together with Larry Kane to do this, and then you have Larry Kane working together with Ross Sullivan to do this, or it was Arthur Lee Allen and Ross Sullivan or it was Larry Kane and Ross Sullivan, or it was Richard Gajkowski and Richard Marshall. There's always some combination of suspects that people will resort to in order to avoid admitting that the evidence indicates that none of these people were the Zodiac. And of course, that leads us to the inevitable theory that there was more than one Zodiac, that the crimes were committed by two or more individuals, whether it's part of a satanic cult or some other conspiracy. This seems to be a popular theory on the internet, where people just insert any suspect they want into any scenario. It was Arthur Lee Allen in the study with the candlestick kind of thing. And I've talked about this in previous episodes, about the evidence which indicates that the most logical explanation, the most likely explanation, seems to be that the Zodiac crimes were committed by one individual. Of course, I'm open to the possibility that other people were involved. I just don't see any evidence to indicate that was the case. You know, I was living in New York City back in the 90s when a Zodiac copycat killer was on the loose there. And I can remember how after that Zodiac sort of disappeared for a little while and then returned, people were speculating that this might be a third Zodiac, a copycat of the copycat killer. And at a certain point, they got so bizarre and confusing that even the legendary comedian George Carlin was on a late-night talk show and said, how many Zodiac killers do you need? I don't think you need more than one individual to explain these crimes. Now, if someone came forward with credible evidence to indicate that more than one person was involved, then I would change my opinion but I haven't seen anyone presenting such evidence yet. It might seem like an easy and simple explanation to just say, well, some of the physical descriptions of the killer seem different, so therefore there was more than one person. Or to think that because the MO changed, that it might be more than one person. Those might be avenues of speculation worthy of some discussion, but it doesn't logically follow that more than one person was involved. Now let's look at some of the questions that I've gotten on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. 
Of course, you won't be surprised to know that I'm often asked if I think Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac. The answer is no, but I would be very happy if someone proved me wrong, because that would mean that the Zodiac case had been solved. So I think a better question is why don't I believe that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac? Now, I can imagine all kinds of scenarios to explain how Arthur Lee Allen could have been the Zodiac, whether it's that he was wearing some sort of disguise and that's why he didn't match the physical descriptions of the Zodiac, or that he did something to disguise his handwriting, either because he was ambidextrous or whatever, and that that confused handwriting experts who concluded that he did not write the Zodiac letters. However, as I said, I think it's a better question to ask, why don't you believe that he was the Zodiac? And the answer is very simple. It's because most of the evidence that's been put forth to accuse Arthur Lee Allen falls apart under scrutiny. Whether it comes from Robert Graysmith or his original accuser, Don Chaney, or people who have websites or who have written books, it doesn't really matter. Because when you look at the information they've presented, it's often made to seem important because they've omitted certain facts which might influence your conclusions about those claims. Or the evidence against him is exaggerated or distorted, and in some cases, even fabricated. What we're left with is an odd collection of curious bullet points. Arthur Lee Allen allegedly told somebody that he would commit Zodiac-like crimes. Arthur Lee Allen had a Zodiac watch. Arthur Lee Allen was seen with Zodiac-like codes. Arthur Lee Allen was questioned by police shortly after the attack at Lake Berryessa for some unknown reason. Arthur Lee Allen reportedly told somebody that he was going to Lake Berryessa that day, or Arthur Lee Allen told police that he had bloody knives on his car seat that day because he had killed some chickens. All of these things would raise obvious questions about Allen's potential as a Zodiac suspect. When we look at the fact that the handwriting experts have concluded that Allen didn't write the Zodiac letters, and that that handwriting appears to be the same writing left on a car door at the scene of a crime. That fingerprints, believed to belong to the Zodiac, don't match Arthur Lee Allen's fingerprints. That a palm print, found on a suspected Zodiac letter, does not match Arthur Lee Allen's palm print. Arthur Lee Allen did not match various descriptions of the killer. The person who first accused Arthur Lee Allen later made several statements which cast doubt on his credibility. Another person who made claims trying to link Allen to the Zodiac crimes was trying to avoid a serious prison sentence. And, for what it's worth, Arthur Lee Allen denied any involvement in the Zodiac crimes. All of these facts, and many more, seem much more compelling than the evidence said to implicate Allen. Someone on Reddit recently asked why the police interviewed Arthur Lee Allen after the attack at Lake Berryessa. This interview occurred on October 6, 1969, at a school where Arthur Lee Allen was working as a janitor. In his report, Detective John Lynch of the Vallejo Police Department noted that Arthur Lee Allen did not resemble the description of the Zodiac, but he did not state why he was interviewing Allen in the first place or how he came to the attention of the police. The absence of any information about what led to this event has created a lot of speculation and a lot of theories about why the police showed up there that day. Some people have said that Don Chaney, 
the man who first accused Arthur Lee Allen, had gone to police at that time. However, according to his own statements, he didn't contact police until much later, so it doesn't look like he was the reason for the police interest in Allen at that time. Of course, it's possible that someone else contacted police, either because they thought Allen was behaving strangely on the day of the attack, or that they had observed some behavior which made them suspicious. Some people have speculated that Allen's history as a child molester somehow made his name appear on a list of people to be checked out by police. You know, the usual suspects. Sexual deviants, violent offenders, etc. I don't really know if that explanation would work, because according to the information I've seen, Arthur Lee Allen hadn't been charged with any crimes at that point, so there would most likely not be any history of documented arrests for child molestation. However, it is possible that in a previous instance where he apparently lost his job as a teacher due to such accusations, his name may have come to the attention of law enforcement. So what really led police to Arthur Lee Allen in October of 1969? I don't know. And if anybody does know, I hope they would come forward, because there are unanswered questions about this event. I think it's most likely that somebody observed Allen coming and going that day and thought it seemed suspicious or maybe not part of what appeared to be his usual routine. There was a neighbor who lived next door to Arthur Lee Allen's family home named William White, and a couple of years later when Allen was interviewed by police, he did mention William White. If I remember correctly, Arthur Lee Allen indicated that William White may have seen him that day, but couldn't confirm Allen's version of events because he had died sometime after the attack at Lake Berryessa and sometime before Allen was investigated by police in the summer of 1971. And I'm sure there's a lot of other theories about this event as well. But I think the only honest answer is that no one knows exactly why police were interested in Arthur Lee Allen in October of 1969. What we do know is that five days after this interview with police, the Zodiac murdered a cab driver in San Francisco, and then sent a letter taking credit for that crime while threatening to attack a school bus full of children, making him one of the most wanted men in the country. It seemed unlikely that a suspect who had just been informed that he was under suspicion for murder would then raise the stakes by going to a big city and committing a bold and brazen murder and taking credit for it in a letter where he threatened to assassinate children. It seems more likely that the logical explanation is that the Zodiac wasn't concerned about this because he wasn't Arthur Lee Allen. Ralph Spinelli had known Arthur Lee Allen, and shortly after the publication of Robert Graysmith's book Zodiac, Ralph Spinelli was arrested on multiple charges for armed robbery, and he was facing a long prison sentence. So you might not be surprised to discover that all of a sudden, Ralph Spinelli had a story to tell about Arthur Lee Allen being the Zodiac. He claimed that Arthur Lee Allen had come to him and said that he was the Zodiac and he would prove this by murdering a cab driver. Of course, shortly after that, the Zodiac murdered cab driver Paul Stein in San Francisco. One of the explanations offered is that Ralph Spinelli was somehow involved in organized crime and that Arthur Lee Allen was bragging that he was the Zodiac because he was looking for a job as a contract killer. Why Ralph Spinelli didn't report this information to police at the time, no one knows. But it seems rather peculiar 
that he only decided to share this information decades later, when he was afraid that he would end up spending years in prison. Was Ralph Spinelli telling the truth? I doubt it, but I could be wrong. However, regardless of my opinion, the scenario described by Ralph Spinelli does seem rather implausible. Again, a more likely explanation seems to be that Arthur Lee Allen was not the Zodiac. And these issues are also related to another question regarding Zodiac DNA. A long time ago, police discovered what appeared to be Zodiac DNA. However, over the years, there have been some questions about how this DNA was obtained and whether or not it was actually Zodiac DNA which could be used to exclude suspects. I've commented in the past about how this issue relates to the issue of Arthur Lee Allen's possible guilt or innocence. Of course, the DNA that they found didn't match Arthur Lee Allen, but that doesn't prove that he was not involved in the crimes, especially if one believes that DNA did not belong to the Zodiac. So, what would happen if police now found what they believed was suspected Zodiac DNA on a Zodiac envelope or stamp? And what if that DNA matched one of the known suspects like Arthur Lee Allen? A few years ago, the Vallejo Police Department submitted some of the very first Zodiac letters to a crime lab in the hopes that they might find some DNA. There's been speculation that they did find something, and that that's why they've been silent over the last few years. I've been asked many times about various scenarios involving this potential that DNA may have been discovered, and how investigators would proceed with that kind of evidence. The fact that investigators might find some suspected DNA and match that DNA to a known suspect wouldn't automatically mean that the case would be closed, because in order to do so, they would have to build a very strong case against that suspect, especially if that individual was still alive. If the Zodiac matched a known suspect who was dead, like Arthur Lee Allen or Larry Kane or any of the other men who have been accused over the decades, that could raise some serious problems. For instance, let's say they find DNA that matches Arthur Lee Allen. I think most people would be satisfied with the explanation that he was the Zodiac and that it was justified to close the case. After all, there wouldn't be any plausible explanation for the presence of his DNA on an envelope used by the Zodiac. Someone might claim, well, Arthur Lee Allen only wrote the letters, he didn't commit the crimes, or that someone else wrote the letters, and Allen only licked the stamps and the envelopes to mail them. I don't think most people would be satisfied with that explanation, but the possibility exists that police would have to consider a lot of different scenarios before just declaring that the case had been closed. If police did find Zodiac DNA, and then were able to use forensic genealogy to trace that DNA to a specific individual, there might be a lot of problems if that individual was not only dead, but was someone who had never been named as a suspect before. The mere presence of that individual's DNA on a suspected Zodiac communication would not mean that investigators would automatically conclude that he was the Zodiac. The presence of an individual's DNA on a suspected Zodiac communication would most likely not be sufficient to close the case, and they would have to look for other evidence, including samples of the individual's handwriting, his fingerprints, and information regarding his appearance and whereabouts at the time of the crimes. 
if they were able to obtain samples of that individual's handwriting, and experts then concluded that that individual was responsible for writing the Zodiac letters. That information, along with the presence of that individual's DNA on a suspected Zodiac communication, would strongly indicate that he was the Zodiac, and may make some people more comfortable in closing the case based on that information. But if his fingerprints matched any of the suspected Zodiac fingerprints, especially a fingerprint found at the scene of a crime, I think investigators would feel confident in concluding that that individual was the Zodiac. There's also a very troubling scenario. Let's say investigators find suspected DNA on a Zodiac communication, and they are able to use forensic genealogy to trace that DNA to a specific individual. If they cannot find any other supporting evidence, like fingerprints or handwriting, it may be extremely difficult for anyone to justify making a public declaration connecting that individual to the Zodiac crimes. Without solid evidence, police are not likely to hold a press conference and announce the identity of an individual whose DNA was found on a suspected Zodiac communication, as if that somehow closes the case. So imagine a scenario when police have identified an individual through DNA, but they are unable to prove that he was actually involved in the crimes, whether he was working alone or with someone else, and therefore they're not able to inform the public about this important development, meaning we may never know if they have actually identified an individual using DNA. Police are under no obligation to share that kind of information with the public, and doing so without any corroboration could result in some serious legal problems. Of course, investigators would keep looking for any evidence which could help close the case, but unless they find that kind of evidence, this may be a secret that they have to keep for a long time. And that brings us to another question that I get all the time, which is, do you think the case will ever be solved? I'd like to believe that the Zodiac case could be solved within my lifetime. And I think it's possible that investigators may find some DNA which could help identify the Zodiac. However, I know that it's also possible that they may not have found any DNA. And that DNA may not lead us to the identity of the Zodiac. That's a very frustrating situation. And I know that a lot of us don't want to entertain that notion because the idea that we'll never know the identity of the Zodiac is truly disappointing. And of course, there's another scenario to consider. It's possible that investigators might find DNA on a suspected Zodiac communication and that they might be able to use forensic genealogy to trace that DNA to a specific suspect. However, if that suspect is still alive, they will have to build a very strong case against him if they hope to convict him in a court of law. Upon learning that his DNA has been found on a suspected Zodiac communication, the suspect may then try to blame an unnamed accomplice and say, well, I didn't kill anyone, I just wrote the letters, or the person who killed people and wrote the letters asked me to mail those letters for him, and any other scenario which might lessen their culpability in a court of law and help them avoid going to prison. Obviously, that person might not get very far with those kinds of claims unless he's willing to name the person who was actually responsible for the crimes. 
However, I think the most logical explanation is that if they do find a suspect's DNA on a Zodiac communication, and that suspect is still alive, they're going to have to build a case using handwriting and any other evidence they can find, because that DNA evidence probably wouldn't be sufficient to prove, in a court of law, that that individual was solely responsible for the Zodiac crimes. When they caught Joseph James D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, they had some pretty solid DNA evidence, evidence which linked him directly to a murder, in the form of semen found at the scene of a crime. It was obviously impossible for D'Angelo to provide an adequate explanation for the presence of his semen at the scene of a murder, and he chose to make a deal. But if they find DNA on a suspected Zodiac communication, and that DNA matches a specific individual who is still alive, you can bet that person will probably hire a good lawyer and try to beat those charges if the only evidence comes in the form of DNA found on an envelope or a stamp. If that individual's fingerprints match any of the suspected Zodiac fingerprints, including a fingerprint found at the scene of the crime, then that suspect may decide to make a deal because that evidence would be very difficult to explain away when added with the DNA. If police were able to identify an individual using DNA found on a suspected Zodiac communication, which was accompanied by a piece of a victim's blood-stained shirt, and then an expert concluded that that individual's handwriting matched the handwriting in the letters sent with the piece of blood-stained clothing, then investigators would have very strong evidence linking that individual to the letters and the murders. That's actually my personal best-case scenario what I hope will actually happen, that police will identify an individual and that that person will then be sent to prison for whatever remains of his natural life. So when I'm asked if I think the Zodiac case will ever be solved, you know, who wants to say no to that question? I hope that the case is solved. So I want to stay focused on that positive outcome. But if I'm disappointed sometime down the line, then I guess there's probably plenty of time for that pessimism later. The absence of any clear information about Zodiac DNA leads to a lot of speculation. And one of the rumors that's been flying around for a while now is that investigators have used DNA to establish a definitive link between the Zodiac and the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in Riverside in 1966. There are people who are convinced that this is a definite Zodiac crime, while others are equally certain that the Zodiac was not involved. Some people believe that the Zodiac murdered Sherry Jo Bates, and that he was also responsible for the strange letters associated with this case. At least one handwriting expert concluded that the Zodiac did write those letters in Riverside, However, other experts had doubts about any connection to the Zodiac. Some people believe that the Zodiac was not responsible for the murder, but that he did write the letters associated with that case, and took credit for a crime which he did not commit. And still others believe that the Zodiac was not responsible for the murder or the letters, and that he had no connection to this crime whatsoever. Decades ago, 
the Riverside Police Department believed that the Zodiac was a logical suspect in the Bates murder. But the position of the department later changed when they became convinced that Bates was murdered by someone she had known and that that individual was not the Zodiac. Efforts to find evidence which could establish a link between the two crimes has been ongoing since the 1970s. The Bates case can be confounding and confusing. Over the years, researchers have been fortunate to have access to a lot of the police files and FBI reports regarding the various Zodiac crimes, but we don't have access to the same kind of information in the Bates case. While there are some official documents and files which have surfaced over the years, we don't have access to the detailed police reports regarding that homicide case. So there's a lot of room for speculation and theories out there, especially when it comes to people who are trying to link specific suspects to the Riverside area and to the murder of Sherry Jo Bates. The letters in the Riverside case, which some people believe were written by the Zodiac, have raised a lot of questions about the killer's personality, his state of mind, his motives, and other issues. There was a poem that was written on a desk found in the Riverside City College campus, which seemed to describe the death of a young woman and talked about blood. And people have viewed this poem as some sort of window into the mind of the Zodiac, which might be interesting and seem compelling at times, but we also have to consider the possibility that the Zodiac did not write that poem, and therefore that poem doesn't shed any light on his personality, his state of mind, or his motives. It's also possible that the Zodiac was not responsible for the murder of Sherry Joe Bates. He may have written those letters and taken credit for a crime that he didn't commit, but there's no solid evidence to establish a link between the Zodiac and the murder of Sherry Joe Bates or those letters. And people have also created a lot of scenarios involving various writings associated with the Riverside case, including a letter sent to the local newspaper signed by someone named Patricia Houts. This letter asked a question about whether it would be a good idea for the newspaper to write a story about what may have motivated the killer. The name Houts, ending with the letter Z, and the content, the subject matter, made some people suspect that the killer may have written that letter attributed to Patricia Houts. And over the years, people developed a lot of theories about that particular letter and its true author. Years ago, I was fortunate to track down a woman named Patricia Houts, and the evidence indicated that she was responsible for that letter. However, this interfered with a lot of people who had various theories about how their suspects related to the case in Riverside. When I posted information that Patricia Houts was responsible for that letter sent to the newspaper, a lot of people refused to accept that reality. A few people even claimed that I made the whole thing up, because apparently they were unwilling to abandon these beliefs that they had held for so long, or they wanted to avoid the embarrassment of having to admit that they had been wrong. Either way, it doesn't really matter because the most logical explanation was that Patricia Houts was responsible for that letter sent to the Riverside newspaper, and that the letter had no connection to the killer. I talked about the Patricia Houts mystery in a previous bonus segment for Episode 7 titled Identity Crisis. 
That experience made me reconsider some of my beliefs about the Riverside writings and whether or not they were actually linked to the Zodiac. Whether he was responsible for the murder and those writings, or not responsible for the murder but responsible for the writings, I couldn't say. I also had to be open to the possibility that he had nothing to do with the murder, but falsely took credit for those crimes in the Riverside writings. And then I had to be open to the possibility that he wasn't connected to the murders or the writings at all. So, after so many years of studying this case, and trying to remain as objective as I can about the so-called Riverside connection, I tend to fall on the side of the belief that the Zodiac was responsible for the murder and the writings. And I think it's important to note that officially, the Riverside case remains unsolved, and investigators there have apparently been unable to build a solid case which could win a conviction against their suspect in a court of law. As long as the case remains unsolved, and police do not charge the Riverside suspect, we have to be open to other suspects, and the Zodiac, in my opinion, remains the most logical suspect in the murder of Sherry Jo Bates. And I think it's very possible that he was also responsible for the Riverside writings. Of course, I could be wrong. I would love to be proven wrong by someone who could come forward and clear up this confusion with solid evidence that would link the Riverside suspect or the Zodiac to this still unsolved crime. I saw an interesting question recently where someone asked, do you think the Zodiac kept his kill kit? Meaning the weapons and other items he used in the commission of his crimes. Obviously, it's hard to say with any certainty what the Zodiac did or did not do, especially when we don't have any idea who he was or what happened to him. But I think the answer to that question would come down to this. How important was it that the Zodiac be able to relive these crimes through the possession of things he had either taken from the victims or the weapons he had used? Did the Zodiac keep the different guns he had used at Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs and in San Francisco? Did he keep the gun that he showed to the victims at Lake Berryessa? Did he keep the knife that he used to stab them? There's no evidence that he took anything from any of the victims in the first three crimes, but it appears that he did take the driver's license and car keys belonging to his last known victim, cab driver Paul Stein and he also took a piece of Paul Stein's blood-stained shirt. He cut pieces from this and then included them in the envelope sent with his letters in order to prove that he was the killer. And there's still a piece of Paul Stein's shirt that remains unaccounted for, so it's very possible that the Zodiac may have kept that and the other items he took from Paul Stein as well as the weapons that he used in the previous crimes, and maybe he also kept some drafts of some of his letters or ciphers and that he used these items to relive the crimes. We know that Dennis Rader, the BTK Strangler, kept mementos or trophies from his crimes, and a collection of some of his writings. He had some of this evidence, hidden in his home and his office, in what he called hidey holes. This evidence was later discovered and used to link him to the crimes. If the Zodiac also kept so-called trophies to relive his crimes, it's possible that he may have kept these items for a very long time and was reluctant to part with them. 
It's interesting to think about how important these kinds of trophies would be to a serial killer. Ted Bundy apparently had a shoebox full of Polaroid photographs of his victims, and when he finally realized that the police were probably going to search his apartment, he apparently took this shoebox and hid it in a laundry room where there was common access shared with other tenants. So he took a great risk when he hid this shoebox because he was trying to hang on to these things. He didn't want to get rid of them because he needed them to relive his crimes. So instead of doing the easiest thing, which would have been to destroy those photographs and erase any link between himself and those victims, it seemed that his need to relive the crimes was more important than his freedom. Because by hanging on to these photographs and putting them in an area where somebody might find them, he was risking being exposed as a killer. If the Zodiac is still alive, I think it's possible that he may still have some of the items related to his crimes. Maybe he's unwilling to let go of these items because they mean so much to him. The kinds of trophies or mementos kept by these serial killers in order to relive their crimes are irreplaceable to them. By destroying this evidence, the killer might feel that he is somehow destroying the only real connection between himself and his crimes. If you have questions or comments, send an email to contact at ZodiacKillerFacts.com Thanks for listening, and join us next time on Zodiac A to Z. to Z. Written and produced by Michael Butterfield. Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com Zodiac Killer Facts.com